Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and this is another episode in our series, Gaily Life, uh, where we talk about really broad stuff. Today, the topic is, whose responsibility is your happiness? Now, this, like many of these topics, comes from deep within my brain and from my experiences. So, um, working with people with an intellectual disability has really taught me how influential one's environment is. Um, how important it is that the people around you help to facilitate and support an individual's happiness, how to make sure they meet their needs. Now, obviously, with intellectual disability, it's slightly different in that there are sort of internal barriers that may make it difficult for someone with intellectual disability to meet their own needs. And obviously, the the degree of that will extend from basic needs like feeding and clothing and bathing um, all the way up to mental and physical stimulations and social interactions as well. I think there's some other categories that also probably fit into that. Phys- some physical disabilities mm-hmm. um, and also age. Yeah. 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 Like you could, you can give advice to, you know, a 30-year-old that, you know, if you're not happy with situation, change it. But you can't really give that advice to a 90-year-old in a nursing home. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. And so... Obviously, the, the answer to the question is should be fairly obvious, but I think sometimes it actually isn't obvious to a lot of people. So, again, coming back to the kind of patients that I see, sometimes I think that what happens with carers is that they get really burnt out from, the, from being a full-time carer of a, a, an, an adult person with a disability. And understandably so. Obviously, again, it depends on, this, on the situation itself. But what a lot of them don't seem to recognize, and and again, I would argue that part of it is because of how exhausted they might be, is that sometimes when a person who has communication difficulties is, is in inverted commas, acting up, it's not that the behavior itself is because of the disability, but because there's a need, a need that's not being met, right? And part of that might be because the carrier just isn't capable of it. They might have other responsibilities. They have to look after themselves, of course. And so then how do you address that need you know a lot of the times what i find is that parents of children with you know moderate severe intellectual disability make the assumption that it's all on them that it's entirely their responsibility to do everything and anything less than that is failure and that that concerns me because it really we should be spreading around the responsibility of um of how to meet a person's need particularly if there are barriers that they can't overcome themselves you know and i think i would like to talk a little bit more about that kind of how this influences mental health later, but I guess if we're focusing on the disability aspect, you know, what is the role of the carer and how do they, how do they find that balance between, you know, meeting their own needs versus meeting the needs of someone who is quite dependent on them? Yeah. Like, I think I've talked about before, like, when my need to be alone clashes with, especially Matt's need to access me. Mm. And I think as a parent, you do act sacrificial. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, over the last couple of days, we've actually had a couple of situations where I basically just put the kids' needs ahead of mine. Uh, so, we're having a problem at the moment where there's a strange noise where when the wind blows. Um, and unfortunately, that strange noise is right next to Jake's bed. And it's very loud. Mm. Um, so there was, there was one point where, because they sleep in the same room, they both couldn't sleep. Uh, so we swapped rooms for them. So they slept in our bed and we slept in their beds. Uh, and Paul took Jake's bed. We didn't know that that was going to be the loudest spot, but <laughs> yeah. 
So, and it was kind of like, okay, so I think they were doing remote learning. It's kind of like, these kids need to sleep. <laughs> and then there was another time where, like, Matt started sleeping through the noise, which is nice. But Jake has the trouble. Um, and there was another time where Jake came to our room and he's like, I can't sleep because of the noise. Um, and I said, that's fine. You hop in here. I'll hop into your bed. Because Paul was working in the morning and Jake was doing remote learning in the morning. And I thought, of everyone, I am the one who can best be tired for the entire day. Mm. <laughs> but this most recent one, because they're on holidays, and I think it wasn't a work day for you the next day, I kind of just did it anyway, even though no one needs to do it in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But that's just, I feel like, just something you do as a parent. Uh, like, that wasn't particularly autistic. Um, but yesterday, because it was like our first hot day for a while, I had sort of gotten this habit of I would be in the study in the evenings while the kids and Paul were playing or watching TV in the next room, um, which is our bedroom. But because it was kind of hot, I went to downstairs to our dojo, which is like the coolest room in the house. And I was there for a while without the kids being aware of it. But then one, once Matt became aware that I was down there, he kept coming down. He's like, you can come up if you want to come up. When are you going to come up? Mm. And I'm like, well, did you want to do something with me? He's like, no, you're normally in the study. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you don't really interact with me. I'm just in the study. And he's like... You're going to come up at nine o'clock. And I'm like, I'll come up now and I'll just be in the study. So I was just, I was in the room he expected me to be in. Um, and it wasn't as cool as the room that I had previously been in. Yes. Um, so there was no reason to do it other than being a nice parent. But, and, and I think it's interesting that you, you sort of talk about the idea that it's just because you're a parent, because that's an expectation that is set by yourself. I mean, if you really think about it, because the reality is, um, neither Jake nor Matt's safety was compromised by you not being in the same room. Mm. Right. So you could have in theory argued with Matt to say, actually, I'd rather be down here. Can you just go upstairs for these following reasons? Yeah. Like I, I did it to alleviate a low level distress. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, it was a choice I made. Hmm. Because I was willing to, you know, be slight, you know, warmer um, in order to make him slightly less distressed. Because he was probably only mildly distressed by the fact that I was not in the room he expected me to be in. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there there comes a point... Well, let's, let's say that uh, either of our children had some sort of intellectual disability. I would argue that there is a finite point when, I guess, I guess as part of expectation, you'd kind of think, once the kids turn 18, they should be able to look after themselves, or they should be able to yeah. do more, uh, and that doesn't require a parent to to concede or to try and adhere to the child's needs, mm-hmm. right? But if that doesn't necessarily end... How do you deal with that? Oh, yeah. And we're, we're not in a situation where it's likely to not end. There's, like, there's no reason why the kids can't move on to as just a successful life as we've had. Mm. Um, like, I, like, I've heard of other people where they're like, okay, like, I finally got a special tap so my 14-year-old can shower themselves. Yeah. Like, they've been showering their 14-year-old, like, their, their daughter for 14 years. And what a difference that makes to their life. Well, like, we're not in that situation. So we can't talk about that situation because that's not our story. Mm. So, yeah, I guess, like, you as a professional can sort of look at look at people who are in that situation. Mm. But I don't... Like, yeah, that I acknowledge that's not the situation that I'm in. Yeah. So my 
my adaptations are much lower key. <laughs> yeah. Though, you know, when, I, when I'm when i being abused by a child, that, like, letting a child abuse, just abuse you and giving unconditional love and forgiveness is probably the most extreme things get for me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are there are certain boundaries there. But at the same time, you want to look at, you know, when, when Matt is punching you and kind of ask, well, why is he punching me? And is, you know, is there an emotion behind it that you can kind of manage? But Oh, yeah. Like, the thing, the thing is, when he did it, it was because he wasn't getting his way. Yeah. Like, he, he did it... But both times he did it because um, he needed to compromise for what Jake was doing. So one time it was Jake was in a class and Jake was, like, basically... I think moving from a special gym class to a mainstream gym class. So it was a big deal for Jake. Yeah. So me being there every time he looked over was very important. So Matt not being able to cope with the fact that he was put out by Jake's needs. Um, And the other time was, I think Jake was having a therapy and Matt wanted to go somewhere. And I'm like, well, no, I can't. Like, you know, we're at home, but the therapist is here and I... Like, can't just take you somewhere. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, both times he had to not be selfish. So I knew the reason. Yeah. Like, he was, act- like he was, I guess, acting out, as they say, inverted commas, because of an emotion. But I was completely aware of what the emotion was. It just wasn't fair to accommodate him because he was being the worst behaviour. Yeah. And that's and that's part of it as well. So coming back to the idea of uh, individual responsibility, you know, we do try to teach our kids how to uh, be in charge of their own happiness, how to be independent, how to make choices. It's also important that they communicate with us. So Matt has a tendency to just come up and make statements and we're meant to assume that it's a special need. So often I know I have to remind him, Matt, can you put that in the form of a question? What exactly do you want? And just to remind him that you can't, he can't just make statements. Or sometimes he's, he's... I think he's been testing the boundaries lately where he'll just say a word. He'll yeah. come up and just say one word. And I'm like, what does that mean? You can't expect me to just ex- understand that. You actually have to ask it in a question. And the then, problem is I do know what he means. <laughs> but, that, but I guess it depends on what the lesson is we're trying to teach there. Yes. And you want to try and enforce it a little bit. I, I get yeah. it. Don't get me wrong. Like if he comes up and says apple, I'm like, well, that means he wants to have me to cut up an apple for him to eat. Yeah. I'm not stupid. <laughs> but it's also not the point. Yes. Like, the point is, is that in order for him to be able to function in a wider world, yes, okay, I understand him better because of my experience with him. But yeah. he still needs to just get into the habit of doing that. Because if he goes and does that to a complete stranger, or if he goes up to the teacher... He or she will be like, what are you talking about? Why are you saying Apple? What does that mean? And then if Matt gets frustrated that this person doesn't can't read their mind, well, that's not... I don't think either. he'd do it to the teacher. I, th- I think he thinks it's cute. Yeah. Uh, I think it's almost his form of baby talk, which I prefer over baby talk because baby talk drives me insane. Mm. Like, it's almost, like, cutely regressing. <laughs> yeah. And it's only really about apples. I know, but I I think I'm looking at it from the bigger picture. I I don't want him to suddenly think this is an acceptable way to communicate. But I I also don't want him to, um, I don't know, take on this sort of baby persona because he's short either. Yeah. Yeah. So it it comes from a lot of reasons. And and it's kind of like, you know, we've gone from a full sentence that sometimes misses please 
to a single word that also does not have please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I wouldn't do it when you did the full sentence without the please. I'm not going to do it on a single word. Mm. Although, admittedly, we have discussed, I think, not on this show, that the idea of the word please is oddly arbitrary. Yes. <laughs> I, I do, yeah, I do have some very autistic thoughts about the fact that we make an assumption of rudeness. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. To go around constantly assuming everyone's being rude. <laughs> and yet still, it's something we teach. Like, I yeah. certainly enforce well, it. Well, the thing is, it is society. Like, you're not going to change society. Like, I don't have that power. <laughs> Well, you don't have the power to change society immediately, but again, but I think that segues nicely into the idea of, you know, being gay. So, is it our responsibility to try and make other people feel more comfortable, or is it uh, the society's responsibility to get get with the program? And again, many people lean towards the latter, I'm sure. Um, but you got to admit that it's it's not quite that simple, and it takes a lot of courage to be able to just be open about yourself. Yeah. So one of the things that we've talked about a lot in in various episodes is that I I don't admit that, that I'm gay to my patients, and it's mm. not shame. At least I certainly don't think it's shame. I'm I'm very happy. Uh, in myself to be gay um, but I, I guess I justify it in that it's not their business and doesn't actually influence who I am as a professional Yeah. but at the same time the fact is I have to think about it you know yeah. heterosexual people don't have to think about this they don't have to wonder should I tell them about my wife and kids nah whatever like they don't it's not something that has to cross their mind yeah there was um a point where I think Matt Damon said that you know it's okay to be gay you just have to like talk about it all the time and really? People, and people, like, showed all these clips of him just talking about his wife. It's like, what do you, like... <laughs> like, you literally talk about being heterosexual all the time, but you don't even think about the fact you're talking about being heterosexual. Yeah. But, I, like, I do remember many years ago... Like, I remember having sort of this idea that I was like, okay, so coming out is always a thing. No matter what the response is, it's a thing. Mm. Like, it's either a thing about how accepting they are... <laughs> A thing about how you're still the same person, a thing about how you're going to hell, whatever the response is, mm. it's always a thing to yeah. come out. Yeah. It's never, it's impossible for coming out to be a nothing. Yeah. Which it is, is, it is, yeah, it's one of those hard things. Which is obviously a joke that was in the Love, Simon movie about how, yeah, straight people don't have to come out to their parents that they're straight. Yeah. Which, yeah, as... as it's a common joke. It's a quite a, quite a common joke. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the the idea of, well, yeah, once again, whose responsibility is it to to be happy? And it's... I think, like, it relates a lot to science. In that? Like, it's kind of like, who's, like, if there is something, it's someone's responsibility to educate someone about that something. Mm. It's kind of like, okay, so if you know that climate change is real, or you know that transgendered is a thing... Or you know that autism is a thing. At some point, you need to tell someone. You can't just sit there going, I know it. The rest of society will come to the same conclusion because they are also scientists studying this one thing. Because <laughs> yeah. not all of society is. So I think if you if you know something, sometimes you do have to tell people. You can't just expect everyone to also come to the same conclusion if you've gone through a process to know it. Which can in itself be exhausting. I mean, this I think this kind of idea comes up a lot in when talking about race. Mm. You know, talking about well, how why is it that you know I as uh, a Vietnamese person am required to educate people on you know Vietnamese culture? Can't you just 
like accept it and and just not try to change it or fix it or try to kind of just leave it. Um, obviously, there are you know in in the era of Black Lives Matter, this is another issue as well. Like how how much obligation and expectation does a person who is not white and not cisgender, not not heterosexual. How required are we to be the educators? Because it can be exhausting to to yeah. feel that responsibility. And and some people do say they're like I just constantly doing this. Um, but like, so an example of autism is if you don't do an NDIS application, they're not going to give you money. Yeah. So even though it would be nice if they just somehow sensed what your kid needed and gave you the money. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to go through the process of, yeah, the bureaucracy of saying, this is the situation. Mm. I'm going to educate you about my child so that I can get what I need from my child. Um, and I think with gay rights and ra- like racial things, like, you know, for instance, if you're like, okay, I want someone to respect that this is part of my tradition. If you never tell them it's part of your tradition, it's hard for them to respect it as part of your tradition. Yeah, yeah. Not knowledge. I think knowledge and identity is valuable, but I think in part, I, I know certainly with the whole autism thing. I before my diagnosis, I'd suspected that I had autism for a while, mm-hmm. and every now and then, I'd I just say it openly. I'd say I think I'm autistic, and the number of people who would go, "Nah, you can't possibly," and I'm like, "Well." You know, because, oh, you seem too social. I'm like, no, that doesn't define anything. Like, it just, it's really frustrating to have to work at that. Where, and so part of me goes, can't you just accept it? Like, can't you just accept that this is what I think, this is how I feel I am. Therefore, I shouldn't have to defend it because you don't agree with it or it doesn't make sense to you. Can't you just, you you don't have to agree with it. It doesn't have to be the person that you become. Can't you just say, oh, cool, and then move on? Like, I think that's where... My perspective on it sometimes. Yeah. But I, th- I think sometimes it gets into trouble with things that people use casually. Sometimes. Like, like people go, oh, I'm so ADD today. Oh, or, yeah. Everyone's a little bit autistic. <laughs> oh, yes. Or, you know, the difference between someone who's celiacs and someone who's listened to, like, a health blogger and become gluten-free. Yeah. Like, if... Like, if you go, oh, no, I can't eat gluten, people might assume you're the health blogger thing unless you have the diagnosis and share the fact you have the diagnosis that, no, my like, my body is actually not coping with this. Mm. I'm actually, like, if I eat that, it's actually going to do me harm. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like, a lot of people, like, have said they have allergies when they just don't like something. Yeah. Like, I accidentally did it because I thought I was allergic to mushrooms. Oh, right. Because I, the, my first experience with mushrooms, I'd eaten, like, basically mildly poisoned mushrooms. Ah. So I vomited everywhere and then didn't eat mushrooms for years. Right. And I basically, yeah, I, I told people that I was allergic because I honestly believed because the only time I'd eaten mushrooms, I'd been violently ill. Yeah. And then I accidentally ate mushrooms and wasn't violently ill. And now I love mushrooms. And I can't get enough <laughs> mushrooms. And the kids don't like mushrooms, so I don't get enough mushrooms. Um, <laughs> the thing is, it was an honest mistake for me to say that I was allergic, like that I, yeah, gastric, like, not anaphylactic. I didn't claim to... Like, I was going to need an EpiPen if someone gave me a mushroom. Mm. But my only experience with mushrooms was to be violently ill. And it just turned out that it's because my first experience with mushrooms were poisonous mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, there's a difference between, yeah, someone going, oh, I'm having such an ADD day. And someone saying, no, literally, I went to a psychologist, spent thousands of dollars, and I have a diagnosis. Mm. 
And even then people are like, oh, should you really be on that medication? <laughs> it's like, yes, I went through a lot to get to the point where I get this medication. So it, it is one of those things where I think sometimes knowledge needs to be shared. And if you have knowledge, it's kind of your responsibility to share it, even when it sometimes sucks. But it's kind of everyone else's responsibility to also listen so you don't get completely worn out saying the same thing over and over and over again. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely right. Like, if someone says, you know, I need marriage equality so I can visit my dying husband, don't then try to convince them that they can go to court and get a court order. Because that's what someone said to me. They're like, oh, you know, do you have a registered thing? And I'm like, well, yeah. And I could take that to court. And get the right to go to the hospital. But you don't have to go to court. Yeah. But do you see that point? <laughs> like, I can I can produce the paperwork in the court case. You don't have to go to. Yeah. <laughs> so don't tell me that we have equality. Mm. And, e- like, even um, in one of our previous episodes, which will be out by the time you listen to this, sometimes people, like, even if you have all the paperwork that you are the parent of a child, people will be like, nope. It's not your child. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like we we had a few close calls, nothing bad. Um, but there was one point with early on with Jake, I think, where they're like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm the dad. And they're like, no, we've already met the dad. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the other dad. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But they, they're like, wait a second. Like something has got like, something's gone wrong here. I didn't blame them for it. Mm. But they're like, oh, this this person wanted in claiming to be the dad, but we've already met the dad, so this can't be the dad. Until I pointed out why. So, I think I think we also had this discussion. Um, I can't remember which episode it was, where it's kind of like, oh, about I think about correcting people, like, like making the choice to yeah correct. Oh, and words, like wherever you judge people based on the words. I think it was um, may contain appropriate inappropriate, inappropriate language. language. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, okay, if someone makes a genuine mistake, don't jump down their throat. Yeah. Like, these people just made a genuine mistake. They're like, wait, no, we've already seen the dad. And he was Asian. Mm. Um, so, but then if they, had, you know, insisted that I, I don't know, produce a birth certificate with my name on it or something. Yeah. Which wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible at the time, actually. Which anyway. wouldn't have been possible at the time. Then they haven't met their responsibility to listen. Yeah. Um, but I think I still have the responsibility to explain. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that, that it kind of comes down to that. It's like, it would be lovely if the world all read our minds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because they don't, sometimes you actually have to share what you know. And sometimes it is very personal. If it's about, you know, I actually don't have quality or, you know, or even you're more aware of things. Like I remember there was a case where there was like an English couple who came over to Australia for their honeymoon. And one of them died during honeymoon. Legally married in England. Couldn't get the access to Australia because Australia didn't recognise their... Like they weren't even Australian citizens. They were on holidays. Mm. But Australia wouldn't recognise the fact that it was the husband. Mm. Um, And yeah, it was just this tragic situation. And because I read in that area, I was aware of that. But I didn't expect everyone to have read that article and know about it. Yeah. But if I told them about it, I kind of had the expectation they'd be like, okay. If, if, if they doubted it, they can do their own research, find the article, and point them to it. But I, I, they have to have the responsibility of, you know, at least, if they're doubtful, do their own research, not just ignore it because it doesn't suit them. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is the problem with echo chambers and, and the era we live in now, is that often people are 
so overwhelmed with information and different opinions and different facts that, yeah, sometimes they do just shut down and just ignore instead of being willing to critically appraise their own thinking, which is... I just say that, like, in a, in a way, all these media paywalls also make it hard. Because sometimes I want to do my own research, but I can't read the articles without having a subscription to everything. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I want to do the right thing and read a number of articles about this to get a, a general view of what it is. Because... Mm. Like, I, I sometimes doubt right-wing things. I sometimes doubt left-wing things. Like, there was an example of a left-wing article basically claiming that racism against Asian people early, in, early on coronavirus had caused a restaurant to close. I did my own research. It turned out the restaurant was closing for renovations anyway. <laughs> um, so, it's not just that I doubt the right-wing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I will actually... If, if something... If I'm just like that... That doesn't seem right. No matter which part of the um, political spectrum it comes from, I will check. And also, if I post something and someone says, no, actually, here's an article that, you know, says I'm different. I don't post much, so I don't think that really happens much. But if someone did say, here's actual evidence, not here's a QAnon thing that (laughs) proves this stuff, then I actually try to take on that information. Mm. And yeah, I try to have an open mind. And that's why I like the APC. Because <laughs> they have people on I don't agree with, but they treat them with respect and they say their views. And because it's a sort of a, shows a variety of points of view, I think I feel like my mind is more open because I'm not just, you know, reading a anti-trans newsletter. Yeah. Which I think I go into going, what is this crazy person saying this time? Mm. <laughs> just to wind it back... To, and to, to sort of finish up the episode, I, I want to talk a little bit about mental health in general. Yeah. So, while we've been talking about very specific issues um, about, about discrimination and about societal acceptance, I think that mental illness, as in a, in a broader sense, would really benefit from greater understanding from the general population, not just of its existence. I think, I, I think what... What the messaging about mental illness doesn't always come get across is that awareness of mental illness isn't just about you being aware yourself. It isn't just about the individual understanding that anxiety is common and that there are issues there. It's about what society can do to try and ease that problem. And once again, for me, this has been skewed a lot by my experiences working in the field of disability health. But I'll give an example I, I heard recently of uh, someone someone else's patient who uh, who was having issues with anxiety and depression because of partly because of COVID, so not being able to get around, but also partly because this patient couldn't couldn't find a job in this in this environment because this patient was trained in graphic design um, and this patient was also experiencing a lot of pressure from their parents about getting a job and taking responsibility and the focus for for the clinician who was looking after them was how do I get the the person to cope better how do I make the individual develop the right coping strategies to deal with their anxiety and depression. And what I argued was that actually it's not just about that. Is that yes, okay, the person should try and develop some coping strategies, but you actually need to look at the all the factors in general. So this person's having difficulty getting a job. 
can that be resolved? Is there, is it about retraining? Is it about finding a different career? Is it about linking them in with mentors? Can this person uh, repair their relationship with their parents? Can this person find a way to, you know, increase their amount of, um, of, uh, access to the community that they may not have been aware of? Like they might not have been aware that they can exercise a bit further or they can do this or they can create a social bubble or whatever it might've been, you know, it, what, but the focus from the clinician at the time was more like, how do I make this person not be sad? And like that, and it, I, I find that that isn't isn't a true, truly holistic approach. In medicine, you hear the word holistic a lot, and in GP in particular, they love throwing that word around. But a lot of people don't mean it. Like they don't, they genuinely don't understand what holistic means. But this is what holistic is about. It's about well, okay, yes, the individual needs to to get better. But what can the environment and the people around them do to make the make their life better as well? Yeah, like I, I think um, often. There's some very funny comics comparing if you treated physical ailments the way you treat mental ailments. In what in what sense? Kind of like, have you tried not having a broken arm? <laughs> 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 like, I, I took gluten out of my diet and like <laughs> my broken leg just went away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That is ridiculous. I think the 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 real the really important point here for me is that you even if you don't have autism, even if you are not LGBTQIA+, even if you don't have a mental illness, you do have some influence over someone's happiness. Your role is important and you need to recognize the value of that and how influential you can be positively and negatively. And again, you have your own issues and you have your own things to deal with. That's fine. But if you are able to make someone else's life just a little bit better, if you can be more tolerant, more accepting, more supportive. And again, it's not to say that people who aren't doing it are not supportive, but you just, there are steps you can take to just make someone's, make someone a bit happier. Take that little step. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You don't suddenly need to take all their burdens away from them, but Figure out a way that you can contribute because your role may not be large, but it may, they may not seem large, but it may be impactful. Yes. Let's end it there. Yep. So, uh, we hope you enjoyed what you listened to. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get good podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Atypical Rainbow. Drop us a message. Let us know what you think. Find out uh, what the next episode is very soon. Thanks very much and we'll talk to you next time.